Welcome to Climbing Climate. Hey, and welcome back to the Ice Core topic. This is Caro and Hannah again. After time traveling last time, I hope you all got back to the present safely. Pitch your ears. Now we learn how to read in our ice cores. To understand how we can do that, it is important that you know some basics about atoms and their isotopes. If you don't feel comfortable in that so far, I recommend you to listen to the last warm-up again. If you also want to see pictures explaining what atoms and isotopes are while listening, check out our YouTube channel. You will find a nice video there. So stop this episode now and get back to this point afterwards. Okay, if you feel ready for the new episode of Climbing Climate, let's go! The climb of today will give us fascinating insights into the ice. We know that ancient stories lie dormant in the ice, but how can we reveal these stories from the ice cores? On the first glimpse, the ice looks just wide. Wow, who would have guessed? That's not very informative. Hey, there are the sarcastic comments again. I almost missed that. But the ice can actually be very informative, if we know how to read it. To do this, we need to understand the different languages of the ice. Okay, we have now brought all the chapters of the icy book to the surface. And now, reading in the ice core is a lot of work. Some parts of the language have already been deciphered, but we can still hardly read anything at first glance. We need a translation. And our translators are measuring instruments for example. But we couldn't take most of the measuring instruments with us to the glacier. They are in the laboratories at the institutes. So we take the ice core with us. We borrow a book from the library. But we won't be able to bring the ice core back after we've read it, because we have to partially melt the ice to read it. That's actually a bit different from borrowing, don't you think? Yeah, that's true. Let's have a look on the secret of the air bubbles. Our ice core actually speaks several languages at the same time. Because the ice, which comes from hundreds of meters below the surface, not only consists of frozen water, there are also small air bubbles trapped in the ice. These air bubbles contain one of the languages because these air bubbles contain air that can be thousands of years old. Thousands of years? This has to smell very musty. Mm, no, I don't think so. We should have a look on how the air bubbles get into the ice. Actually, they've always been there. Let's see how ice forms. All starts with snowflakes falling from the sky. Freshly fallen snow is very loose. There is a lot of air between the beautiful flakes. Over the years, the snow becomes more and more compacted and new layers of snow are added on top. The snow becomes fern. You may remember from last time. Fern is compacted, coarse-grained snow. In the spaces between the ice grains, there is still air. 
The fern grains move closer and closer together. They finally freeze together and the trapped air can no longer escape. No new air can flow in either. So each air bubble is a tiny little piece of atmosphere and represents the atmosphere at the time the air was trapped there. Without exaggerating, this is a fantastic thing, because these air bubbles have the possibility to directly measure how the atmosphere was composed thousands of years ago. How much CO2 did it contain at the time when it was particularly cold or particularly warm? How quickly did the CO2 concentration change? Was the proportion of oxygen in the atmosphere always the same? What about methane? The air bubbles thus contain the language that tells us the components of the atmosphere from the past. To get a closer look at the ice cores and their small air bubbles, we need to enter a giant freezer. So maybe better grab a warm coat and gloves. Good idea! So let's learn more about the connection of the ice and the temperature. The ice itself can also speak. It can tell us something about the temperature at the time the ice was formed. Sounds strange? Ice can't just hold the temperature it had thousand years ago, of course. True, but the composition of ice tells us something about the temperature. Water is a molecule called H2O where the H stands for hydrogen and the O for oxygen. There is so-called normal oxygen and heavy oxygen. To understand the difference between the two, we need to understand how atoms are built. There is so-called normal oxygen, O16, which has a nucleus consisting of eight protons and the same number of neutrons as the classical atom normally has. But there are also other forms of stable oxygen, such as heavy oxygen. This also has 8 protons, but 10 neutrons, so these are 2 neutrons more. This oxygen is therefore heavier. Our water molecule, H2O, can contain both the normal and the heavy oxygen. An interesting property of water with heavy oxygen, which we are now paying attention to, is that this heavier water also evaporates with more difficulty. Okay, now let's get back from the water to the ice. The ice on the ice sheet forms from the snow that has fallen onto it. The snow comes from clouds and the water and the ice and the clouds comes mainly from the oceans. Why from the oceans? At the ocean's surface, water evaporates. It evaporates because energy from the atmosphere is transferred into evaporating energy. The warmer it gets, the more the water with the heavier oxygen is evaporated. So when it's warm, a lot of heavy oxygen also ends up on the ice at the end. And if we find a lot of heavy oxygen in a layer of ice, then the snow probably fell during a warm climate period. But isn't there one important information still missing? So what can we say about the connection between the composition of the atmosphere and the temperatures? Good point. Now we understand the language of air bubbles and we understand the language of the temperature in the ice. This is super interesting and tells us a lot about the climate of the past. We can link these two informations. 
because we can have a look on which composition of the atmosphere is related to which temperature. This is really exciting! This way we can also learn something about our current climate and have clues about how the climate could develop in the future. But there is still one really important piece of information missing, and that's the timestamp, right? Now, of course you want to know how old is the ice exactly, and how can we obtain this information from the ice? Okay, this we will find out now. We now hold the drilled ice core in our hands and look on all the different layers. Don't forget your gloves, you're holding ice. Get what I mean? Oh, um, sure. Okay, so now I'm ready. Where were we? Right, the timestamp. We want to determine the age of the layers. We will see the ice also uses special languages to encode this secret. Sounds fancy, and we really need this information. Because the use of the stories from the ice course alone without a reference point in time is limited. History books of different cultures, for example, are divided into eras. Like, the history of the Earth is also divided into different geological eras. Timestamps are assigned to the various pieces of information, such as the cultures or the states of the Earth. To be able to relate the stories from our ice cores to this other information from the past, we need to find the timestamps in the ice cores. Once we have found the timestamps, we can also look up in a biology book, for example, which animals lived at the corresponding time. And for that, we can use various techniques, such as volcanic fingerprints or layer counting. Layer counting? Amazing, that sounds fun! Who needs volcanoes? Um, okay, interesting. But anyhow, I will start with the volcanoes myself. Volcanic eruptions provide good clues about the age of the ice. You probably ask yourself why. No? I will tell you anyway. During a volcanic eruption, huge amounts of ash are often thrown into the air. The composition of this ash depends on the volcano. So volcanoes have their own chemical fingerprint, which they can leave in the ice. How is that possible? I don't care too much. <laughs> anyway, the volcanic ash can be transported hundreds, sometimes even thousands of kilometers through the air. At some point, it sinks to the ground, or it is washed out of the air by snow and rain. And then it also spreads on the ice sheet. Together with the snow, a new ice layer is created after some years. The ash is frozen into the ice. Sometimes it can even be seen as a dark layer in the ice core with a naked eye. If not, we need a translation tool again. In this case, it means melting the ice. Of course, only a small part of it. Otherwise, our ice core will be gone in a single measurement. In the water, we then measure the trace substances. We look for sulfur and dust particles, the fingerprints of the volcanoes. If we have been able to identify a volcano, we look in human history books to find out when this volcano erupted. These dates are often precisely documented, as volcanoes have always posed a danger to people 
but also aroused a certain fascination. Okay, I'm still liking layers more. Okay, okay. We are now getting to the layers. With volcanic fingerprints, we could establish the exact time of some layers. But what do we do with the layers in between? We count them. Oh yeah. Yes, there are annual layers in the eyes, similar to the annual rings of trees. To do the counting, let's remember again that the temperature can be read from the eyes. If the snow fell during a cold time, the layer contains little heavy oxygen, but if it was warm at that time, it contains more heavy oxygen. This is true for glacial and interglacial periods as well as for seasonal cycles, like summer and winter. The series of two thin layers, one with little and one with a lot of heavy oxygen, therefore represents one year, and so we can count back year by year. So, by counting, we can find many more timestamps between the volcano layers. Nice. Okay, the icy treasure chest is now decoded. Yes, we did it. We have now mastered great steps towards understanding the secret of ice. We have found the entrance to the huge ice library and have already learned many languages of the icy books. We now understand what the little bubbles can tell us about the atmosphere of the past. We read the past temperature from the ice, completely without a thermometer. This tells us something about the climate and allows us to count annual layers. Yay! And yes, also volcanoes have also left their fingerprints on some pages of the icy books. And these help us finding the timestamps. And we can be curious about which secret writings are still slumbering in the ice and what ways we will find to decipher them in the future. All right then, as we now learned how to time travel, next time we will actually do it. Awesome, this was Climbing Climate. My message for you, love layer counting and volcanoes and keep climbing. Outtakes. Pit your ears. <laughs> Pit your ears. We will now learn how to. We will now learn how to. Okay, if you feel ready for the new episode. Of <laughs> we should have a look on how the. Blood. There is a lot of air between the fili oh God. There is a lot of air between the beautiful flakes. How quickly did the CO tape <laughs> the CO tape the CO tape So let's start with the connection of ice and temperature between <laughs> We need to understand how atoms are built. Wer macht das?
which we are now using, <laughs> which we are now using, which when using. Um, yeah. But there's still one really important piece of information missed. But there's still really... But. But. There's still one but. I can't say But. We want to determine the, I the age of the layers. Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm very happy to explain it to you. Who would have guessed? There are various techniques for determining... Determining? Determining? Determining. <laughs> How's that possible? I don't care too much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The isotra... Okay, the icy treasure chest is now decoded. We elicit. <laughs> we read. This tells us something about the climate and allows us to count annual layers. Yay!